Hello and welcome to episode three of Sam Green Race Engineering. Oh, it's not Stevio Chronicles, <laughs> it's brilliant. It's the other podcast we haven't seen in about a, what, a month and a half, two months. Yeah, a little while. I'm here with the awesome, awesome, amazing person who is Sam Green, who literally has Hello. his name on the podcast. How's that? Hello. And uh, today, Sam, we're going to be talking about... Uh, a little bit of safety, a little bit of safety. Um, crash helmets in particular. Yeah, crash helmets. And um, basically, we, we're looking because, of course, with your 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 job, Sam, at Rye House, a uh, fairly important subject, I think, is uh, fair to say. Yeah, um, I mean, the way that I look at it is, you've you've only got one head, so you better protect it. Um, yeah, the size sort of it's, it's a crucial thing. Getting the right size is getting the right brand as well at the right price. Uh, and everything else that goes along with that. Um, yeah, I think it's uh, a very important subject and one that there's a few new rules in Formula One this year, so I think we're going to have a chat about those. Exactly. We've got, uh, we're going to give you the full lowdown here, people. Literally, from the beginning of time, almost, basically like the, fi the 50s and before then, which is basically forever ago, um, all the way to present day. And uh, we're going to look at the developments in helmets, how they changed their role as well, which has changed from back in the day to now. And uh, hopefully some cool stuff. Uh, you know, we yeah. we think it's interesting, so uh, therefore you will as well. I think it's the, uh, You've got no choice. Exactly. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> so let's, uh, let's crack on. Um, yep. Starting with, right, let's go. First of all, as we said, Sam, we've got the new helmets coming this year, 2019. We'll come into that particular helmet later with all its technology advances but let's go back right to the start before f1 was even a thing we're looking sort of around 1950 previous now yeah. cars were still or at least fast racing cars were still a relatively new invention um we'd had the wars and stuff so they've been it, yeah, they were still new they still had, a, had their, their perk they hadn't been long and drawn out like they are now i'm joking um so the drivers weren't necessarily thinking about safety as such they were thinking more about going fast and that was it so back in the yeah. day sam we had basically no head protection at all no virtually nothing um i mean obviously it, we had the pre the pre-war grand prix as well and people did use um they were leather mm -hmm. predominantly almost more like a skull cap um rather than a helmet as such uh and there's sort of there's those pictures of like Fangio belting around in a Maserati 250F and he's got a leather helmet on um, with goggles. Yep. And obviously the goggles were because you go pretty quick and you don't want something to hit you in the eye. Yeah. But also, I don't know if you've ever driven um, on anything relatively quick, Sean, without any kind of glasses or goggles or anything like that. I've been but on the wind yeah. tends to make your eyes water. It does, which means you can't and see you... and that's really annoying. And that is quite annoying, especially dangerous. if you're doing 150 mile an hour. <laughs> um, so they wore the goggles as much as anything, so they could probably see properly, rather than to protect their eyes. Yeah. Um, and the, the the skull caps were more or less to keep your head warm. They weren't to protect you in any way. They were just to uh, to the same reason that sort of pilots. You see the World War. They're very similar to World War Two pilots' helmets. Yeah. Um, where they weren't necessarily to actually protect you, they were just to give you some warmth. Because um, again, 150 mile an hour is pretty cold. Um, and then shortly after that, it sort of, it sort of, there was, um, 
it started to go more towards they were essentially polo helmets. Exactly. We saw the first um, um, crash helmets in about 1954. Um, polo hats. They look sort of like builders caps nowadays. Um, they sort of above the ears. Very min- yeah. sort of minimal protection. Um, would have probably done not a great deal <laughs> in, in a no. crash. But uh, unless unless a brick fell on your head, that'd have been good. You'd been fine then. Yeah, I say you were fine. You're protected from the top down. Yeah. So um, if you landed on your head, you're all right. Yeah, but, but anything hitting you, probably not. Yeah, it didn't do much of it. But as we say, the goggles were there essentially as well for the for the eye protection. Otherwise, it was pretty minimal. Um, yeah. So we then get to 1954, and we get the first actual helmet, which I believe is the Bell 500TX, which is a open, yes. an open face helmet still. So only the uh, it basically covered your ears down to your sort of your jaw. Um, made out of fiberglass, which is a, as we know, a very strong material, um, very good at impacts, and that was the the first, I suppose, modern. Well, it was modern for the time, the modern idea of a helmet. Uh, yeah, and that, obviously that had a, the option of having a peak visor on the top as well. It did indeed. Um, which changed not so much probably for open cockpit cars, but for sports cars, that was probably a bigger change. Um, the fact, although, thinking about it, a lot of the sports cars at the time probably were open top. Well, they were, um, they, were, they were quite similar to the F1 cars, they're just a bit wider back then. I mean, yeah, there was well, there was a few races where the places like Monza, where the, the F1 cars or Grand Prix cars were streamliners in inverted commas, and they had enclosed wheels, and they basically looked like Le Mans cars mm. just without lights. Exactly that, um, and of course, that's about that sort of time. You'd have also had the Indy 500 drivers as well, probably getting these these first helmets on. Um, which I imagine, which we will talk about that actually, about the different um, needs of crash helmets on different sports. But um, yeah, that's all. But we start off with that very basic, the sort of classic open helmets as we, we like to call it nowadays. Um, yeah. That sort of carried on for for about a decade until we saw the first uh, full face helmet in Formula One, which was the date I have, 1968. Um, basically de- yes. Developed from um, the motorbike world. Which uh, I say motocross and MotoG- probably MotoGP as well, or of course not MotoGP because that didn't exist ever then, but that sort of series. Um, that equivalent, yeah. yeah. Um, so that, that came from the motorcycle world, and it sort of came across to the F1 paddock as a way of basically protecting the jaw and the the chin and that sort of area when you go crashing into the steering wheel or the chassis of the car. Yeah, because obviously in those days the, the cars were still pretty fragile, um, and that they fell apart a lot more as well like you would go out with a rear wing and you'd come back without it um but yeah the, the helmets were moving more towards they're still not streamlined as such they're, oh. pro- they're, they're aerodynamic because they've got a front now and a proper visor hmm. but there were that wasn't really the consideration it was more about the safety um the visors were fairly thin plastic um, and actually, if you look at the visor, when you take one of those visors off an early helmet, it's actually flat. The only thing that's holding it in a curved shape is the bolts on the helmet, um, which is an interesting point. Some of the drivers as well um, use, I don't know if it has a technical name or not, but I call it a whirly visor, um, which I don't know if you've seen me, Sean. Uh, no, but essentially, it's um, a little bit like a clear plastic propeller. And it goes on the front of the helmet and spins as you drive around. Oh, and right. when it rains, it flicks the water out of the way. That's a great idea. It's a really good idea. 
Um, and you see it very, very occasionally now with karting, but with things like Radex, that's really, really good, you don't need it, really. So there's not a lot of point. But when it's really wet, it can help a little bit. Um, so, yeah, that's that's something that we started to see a bit in Grand Prix racing, um, so the drivers could see. Yeah. Again, it wasn't added protection. It probably would have helped a little bit, I suppose, but it was more not for, everybody used it, and it was more a vision. Yeah, it was for ergonomics and sort of general uh, comfort levels of the drivers and anything else. Um, yeah, we also, obviously, with the, with the income of these sort of visors rather than open face, we saw tinted visors. Yes. And the effect that that can have as well. Um, Jackie Stewart, for example, used to use a amber-coloured yellow visor, um, which in sort of low light level, it was sort of overcast or a little bit rainy, it it makes things, it's, shadows appear a bit clearer and you can see small details a bit better at mm-hmm. speed. Um, I actually use one on... on my crash helmet when it's dark i use a yellow visor because it helps me see as much as anything um we've obviously got you've got dark tints for when it's really bright like you would wear sunglasses um and obviously customization started to come into it well before we get to that sam um of course the the yellow stuff also helps with glare whenever it's um a bright but rainy day of course that's um yeah a clear light will just have the um the light going into your eyes which is dangerous and also uncomfortable um but also the yellow visors as you say they did help with um just general sight in um in in, in a range of in a wider range of conditions which uh was definitely preferable to the racing drivers um we also yeah. saw going back to the sort of the 70s and 60s we saw the introduction of the first fireproofing in helmets uh sort of the yes. nomex which is a brilliant material um it's essentially just fireproof fabric essentially it's it's yeah it's uh basically just stops the it was a, 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 the first attempt to stop the flammable padding inside a helmet basically being an inferno in a crash and um it was the the first along with obviously the crash helmet being a safety device in itself it was the first sort of evolutionary step of the um of the uh of the safety part of the helmet and that is very much it was also a foreshadowing of the um, of the Nomex race suits and all the fire safety stuff we've had ever since throughout motorsport, and not just in the helmets, but in the your driver overalls and uh, and everywhere else. It was the but it's, I found I, I was personally surprised when I researched this that it was that long ago that Nomex was uh, was brought in. Yeah, well, I think um, it was it was around um, when Nicky Lauda had his crash, but not everybody used it. Hmm. Because they, it was mostly in Balaclava form. Uh, and then after, I think it was the season after Nicky's crash, if not immediately after Nicky's crash, it was mandatory that yeah. all drivers had to wear a Nomex Balaclava uh, to try and give them some protection if there was a fire. Hmm. But obviously the problem that, um, that Lauda had was, and this again, this doesn't really happen now, was the chin strap failed on his helmet. I did it. So the helmet actually came off, or mostly came off, um, or couldn't be undone, or something along. I can't remember the exact details. Something failed on the helmet. Um, so he could, they couldn't get it, get him out of it, and it was on fire. Um, and obviously that is not ideal. No. <laughs> um, but credit to him. He survived. Came back. <laughs> came back even stronger, if anything. Um, 
and he's still going strong to this day. So good on him. Yeah. One of my absolute heroes. But also brought about a big change in the sport of fireproofing things. Definitely. Um, which was, as I say, that's that's been a help. We've seen some of the big fires in the in the late twentieth century, which obviously Nomex played its part, and the other fireproof materials played their part in that. And that's yeah. all credit to a lot of the work done in the sixties and seventies. So, uh, absolutely. And obviously, that's not just now, not just for the drivers either. That's all for all the pit crew and yep. basically everybody in the pit lane has to be fireproof just in case and we don't even refuel in the, anymore during the race and they still have to wear their full fireproofs just in case mm. but, um, uh, well, the cars come in pretty hot but yeah they're not on fire anymore i mean so. they, don't, they don't tend to be which is better yeah. let's face it <laughs> um but let's move away to the happier part so we then see the, the heavier branding as you were starting to say on the uh, on the helmets uh, a lot of big sponsors were coming out of their crash helmets we sort of lost the an element of the the driver personalization um but we gained but, but i don't know we, we didn't didn't it depended what area you were in and how well the economy was <laughs> yeah <laughs> but um but yeah we see we see the the helmet become more and more of a, a branding piece that's this isn't so much the development of helmets and more just sort of their role in, in the sport as it were um yeah but it's it was a, it, this was when, when this all come in so the the 90s well, you, when you look when you start looking back, drivers were putting sponsors on their helmets right from sort of the late seventies, oh, early eighties, um, and intended to be team sponsors at yeah. that point because drivers, although they had sponsors, it wasn't as um, intrinsic as it is now as a driver sponsor rather than a car sponsor. Um, so, like for example, you look back at like. Um, I've got pictures of him here. Let's have a look. Um, Villeneuve, his helmet, uh, or Nelson Piquet had the Parmalat logo on the side of it mm -hmm. when he was racing for Brabham. Um, Senna, of course, had National yeah, and course. Hugo Boss um, on his helmet. Hugo Boss, I think, might have been a team sponsor. I can't remember, but uh, National certainly was his sponsor. Yeah. Um, and obviously the cigarette branding as well that was rife in that time uh, obviously pops up on helmets uh, whether the drivers necessarily want them or not, that's usually a team decision yeah, um, overall, but the, the helmet was very much the drivers it was their design it was, they could put on it more or less what they want yeah um, um, and, and it still remains to that to this to, to now, yeah. realistically, it's, but it's still, of course, the case that those those sponsors that was on the helmet were very much how some drivers made their career at all, um, just by being able to pay the pay the bills essentially. Of, of yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but um, I think, yeah, as, well, as good a development that was, it's not it's not that exciting. What is exciting no. though is how the helmets evolved in the nineties to actually funnel air to improve performance. And we saw the yes. first aerodynamics. We saw um, sort of cuts and vents into the into the um, the shape of it on the round bit. We also saw sort of spoilers on the back to try and channel the air around the car. Because of course, we think about an F1 car before the halo. You had basically nothing, helmet, uh, and then the airbox and engine cover behind you, and nothing. And there was yeah. no, there was essentially nothing to channel the air past your head. So we saw in the 90s sort of uh, saw the um, 
uh, sort of people like Michael Schumacher um, starting to see these these cuts and these these sort of you see the sort of wing swirls in in, in the helmet and the the big spoilers, um, which were literally there just to stop the air being disturbed as much and to sort of have a... yeah it was obviously there's a certain amount of it that is um, the driver's comfort as well at high speed you get a lot of buffeting exactly and the that, faster yeah. you go the more buffeting you get so if you can manage the air around the helmet that's going to reduce that um, so we saw the helmets actually getting sort of longer the, the, the chin protection was further away from the chin yep. so to speak to try and teardrop the shape of it a little bit more rather than like if you look at the very early helmets they're nearly spherical yeah which is not a bad shape but it's kind of just the shape of your head <laughs> whereas that you look at sort of now they are aerodynamically designed yeah you see enormous chin buffers splitters on the front i think yeah i think verstappen has a particularly bit large one um of it's got a big chin. yeah <laughs> yeah um <laughs> uh, but then again we look at I was I was researching this a bit more a little while ago, and the the uh, the rear cowling at the back, there's the the spoilers as it were. Not every yeah. not every driver did use them um, because they do some of them do provide uh, discomfort. Despite stopping the buffeting, they can also sort of press down on your on your neck or raise it depending on if it's not completely uh, set up correctly. Yes, um, uh, actually, I think. Um... I think it might have even been Jensen Button. He had a, a similar problem to that. He had a new helmet, and it wasn't quite right. It was a, the, the visor was slightly off or something like that. Yeah. Um, I'm fairly, it could have even been at Hungary. Um, I'm not sure if it was I, this I, I or the story, not. But you yeah. could see it when you watched him drive down the straight. The helmet lifted up. Yeah. And obviously that's strapped underneath his chin, so that's pulling his neck up, which is got to be uncomfortable it probably hurt um <laughs> so and that's obviously that's a distraction as well yep. so you're not going to be concentrating on your driving as much so it's really really important that one they fit really nicely but two at high speed you know what they're going to do it has to be predictable you shouldn't really feel like you're wearing a helmet yeah. if that makes sense yeah it needs to feel mm. natural yeah um and a lot of the time now um well i think it's more the g-forces you watch them as you go through o rouge for example and the helmet is moving quite a lot because the driver can't physically hold his head up yeah because it's that they're going that quick and the g-force is that much mm -hmm. and you see them under braking they the helmet sinks as uh, but it's more the g rather than um the, helmet the actual air force yeah. but um but yeah, it's, it's, you don't quite realise, until you have a problem, you don't realise how much the aerodynamics can actually affect it. Hmm. Um, but those little spoilers, I don't necessarily think with karting, they do a lot, realistically. But I think in terms of streamlining on a, a car where you've got bodywork behind you, behind your head, like a single-seater, it probably does make a difference it certainly makes um, more, with more the difference. buffeting. It certainly makes more difference to the faster cars, like F1, like IndyCar. Um, that's those the sort of the higher speed obviously the more sensitive the air around you will be um to yeah. disturbance so obviously it makes more of a difference which is why especially in indycar you see these enormous um sort of cowlings behind the back of the driver's head um yeah to stop it but it's it's i thought i i've always known that's been a feature but it's just cool really thinking that the driver is, is they say you know some drivers feel detached from the car literally you are you are part of the car when you are yeah when you have this um this driver aerodynamics around your head 
Oh yeah, when you like when you're, when the teams are designing their cars, they don't design it to not have a driver in. Yeah, they design it to be driven, and therefore they have to take into consideration one, which driver as well, because one obviously their height there is that, but different brands of helmet will have different aerodynamic features. Yeah. So for example, I know that uh, Lewis Hamilton uses a Bell crash helmet, whereas. Um, Rosberg used to use a shoe buff, mm-hmm. which Schumacher used to use as and well, Felipe, yeah. coincidentally. Um, but there's Bell, Arai, Stilo, shoe buff. There's so many different brands. I think they're the big four, realistically, especially in Formula One. Yeah. Um, they're the ones that kind of drive the new regulations, which we'll come on to. Um, I know that they were developed with those four, mm-hmm. um, and they are the, the biggest sort of four manufacturers in, in, in helmets, realistically. Yeah. Uh, and there's lots of others that sort of in different series yeah, might have their own in MotoGP, for preference. Example, you have Aero, X Lights, and some other ones like that who are also they're more more they're more bike oriented, I suppose. Um, yeah, and the difference um, obviously would at the moment we'll focus on cars because that's what I know. Yeah. <laughs> but I know that bikes. Um, this is from karting. Bikes have a deeper chin. Yes. Um, because obviously when you're riding the chin line is different mm-hmm. um so you, you see it that the actual chin is a lot lower the chin guard is a lot lower on a, on a bike helmet than what it would be on a car um whereas the bottom of a car helmet it tends to be fairly flat it's also the case whereas the, a, it's also the case of the, visor visor well. the visor's higher as well on a bike helmet because they obviously tend to look up um when they're yeah you're almost helmet. yeah you're looking up rather than looking forwards yeah um speaking of um Talk about hungry a minute ago. It's probably about ten minutes ago now. Uh, the um, moving on to a particular advance that happened when after Massa's crash in two thousand nine at Hungaroring, uh, yes, they introduced what was it, it was uh, the Zylon strip above the yes above the eye line of the driver, which was particularly useful um, for projectiles because Zylon was a slightly I suppose it's just it was just a better absorber of energy than the carbon fiber was um, by itself. It was an extra layer of defense against those. Yeah, it was. Like it was essentially just it was attached to the visor, um, and they go just on the top of the visor where the visor strip would normally be. Yep. So drivers for years have been having the team's sticker with their sponsors on the top of the visor, mm-hmm. just to try and get rid of some of the sun glare as much as anything. And then the Xylon strip came in and sort of replaced that. Um, and it is, I've, I've got one on one of my helmets just because I think they look quite cool, to be honest. I don't need one, but I've got one. Um, and it is just a piece of carbon fibre that goes at the top of the helmet, gives that extra bit of protection um, for crashes such as Felipe Massa's, where it was a, a projectile, for want of a better word, mm-hmm. um, which struck at the top of the visor. Yep. It's interesting to think that if it had been another couple of inches up, it would have probably hit the helmet and we would have been okay. Yeah, it was just the worst. Uh, it, worst it would have been a pretty hefty smack on the head, but yeah. he wouldn't have been anywhere near as injured as he was. No. It's because it hit the visor that, w- that was the problem. Yeah. Um, and even with... That's, that, that's hitting the visor, even though modern helmets, they sort of moved on to more of a Kevlar thing as well, which is another good absorbing material for energy. It was despite, yeah. despite carbon fibre, despite Kevlar... Um, that um, how much did it weigh that spring? It wasn't that heavy, but um, when you first it wasn't hugely heavy. It was only it was a just... sort of a 
wasn't even a major spring, I don't think, was yeah. it? It was only like it a... It was a damper spring, I think. Yeah. Um... Um, but either way, it, it wasn't, didn't weigh a lot, but because it was moving at such a speed, when obviously Massa's Ferrari was coming out of turn one, two, three, four, um, it obviously hit him about, I don't know, about 100 and something miles an hour. And obviously, yeah. obviously you times that by the weight of the spring, it ends up being quite a hefty whack. Um, so it's a good thing that that, that Zylon strip became uh, mandatory in 2011. I think I read it was, um, which again, it's just yes. it's just an ever evolving thing. These crash helmets. Um, yeah, well, I've got um, just on a very quick Google search the the impact force of that spring on on Massa's helmet was at least 1.5 kilojoules. Oh, that's a lot. So it's a big impact. So well, he's doing like nearly 200 mile an hour. The spring has come off the back of a car, yeah. and he's moving as well. So you have to add those two, um, sort of. Uh, I can't think. Those two speeds—that's yeah. the word. Velocity. <laughs> um, <laughs> add those together to get the total impact speed, but yeah. it was probably upwards of 200 mile an hour that hit him in the face. Yeah, he probably, um, he probably felt it. <laughs> no, I mean, again. He, I say he probably felt it. It's quite heavy. Yeah, probably. <laughs> um, but that's, that was sort of the, the last um, modern... Oh, no, it wasn't, because we haven't spoken about hands device yet, have we? No. No. Um, apart from the Xylon Strip, the other big sort of safety advance in the 21st century was, of course, the introduction of the hands device. Now, we obviously knew all this beforehand. We didn't have to check at all when, uh, when hands device first came in. Um, but, uh, but no, the hands device, it was developed in the, throughout the 20th century, or so through the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, um, became mandatory in Formula 1 in 2003. Um, and what it basically does, as the acronym is for, head and neck, um, safe, head and neck safety? Safety. Yeah, safety. Yeah. Um, it's basically the restraint, more or less, of the yeah. driver to stop the whiplash effect um, in the event of a crash. Um, yeah, it is, it is essentially a very clever neck brace. Yeah. Um, sort of in like lower forms of sport where you wouldn't necessarily need a hands device, there is other options. Um, like in karting, we we'd always advise kids to get a neck brace, yeah. But a hands device in a go kart wouldn't do anything because you're not strapped in, it relies on the seat belts to hold the shoulders back, and then because the shoulders can't move, the head can't go forward too much, yeah, is the way that it works. Um, Whereas a neck brace obviously fills the gap between the shoulders and the bottom of the helmet to try and achieve the same sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and sort of drivers, not so much really in open wheel um, until the introduction of hands device, but you, you look at things like where there's a bit more contact, things like, um, like touring cars, drivers have been wearing neck braces sort of since for, for a much longer time than, than the hands device has been that sort of prominent yeah. um and in, in most realistically most top level series now you have to use a hands device yeah i think it is mandatory in all single seaters nowadays um it's yeah it's certainly advised if if, if not mandatory yeah um, it's one of those things I, I would always advise someone to get a neck brace even just at work in their first starting out in karting mm. it's the same as with your um with the crash helmet you've only got one head you've only got one neck so don't just don't scrimp on it just get yeah, one um, and equally you get like you get these like the cadets they're, they're obviously they're little kids they're impressionable you tell them you've got to wear this neck brace and they go oh okay fine they grow up with it if you, they grow up with it and then they can just keep using them yeah um, 
but then they watch the World Championship. Not race. Um, they watch the World Championship, and the World Championship doesn't want that. None of them drivers wearing a neck brace, so they go, "Oh, well, I don't want to wear mine now because hmm. it all looks silly." And that, that's that's a problem as well. I think if everybody, if we just said, have to wear a helmet, have to wear a neck brace, as well as all your other stuff, obviously. End of story. Then that would be that, and everyone would have to, and it wouldn't be a problem. Yeah. Um, but you see it like in motocross. That's essentially what it is. You, motocross and karting neck braces are more or less the same, um, which is interesting. You can get a motocross one, and it will fit quite nicely under your karting helmet, um, and it will do the same job. But you watch the World Championship of motocross, and they all wear neck braces, mm-hmm. so the kids don't think anything of it. Yeah. It's, it's, I think it, yeah, I mean, that's the development with for another day, but it's, it's going to be, I think one day it will be mandatory across the board in all sports, or at least all motorsports of some description, where the, the neck safety will become more and more prominent, like it has with the, the top level stuff. Yeah, um, I think it's got to, it's got to come, yeah. thing, but obviously you try not to put too much um, extra because you don't want it to be prohibitive. But yeah. uh, like, you can buy a neck brace off eBay for like 25 quid. Which is not They're not expensive. Um, you don't have to buy a two grand hands device. No, don't well, have to. <laughs> but no, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's all part of the evolution. Which I suppose brings us now to the uh, the 2019 F1 helmet. Yeah. Um, so the, the two biggest facts that I got from this were the narrower visor window and also... I saw, I saw some of the um, the tests it does. It, go, it has to be tested up to two hundred and seventy five Gs on an MP yeah. test, and I thought that's that's a colossal number. But then you look at the crashes that happen in in F one and other things, and it's actually pretty reasonable. Um, yeah, I mean, I remember. Do you remember High Curve Lines crash in Spain? I think it was two thousand seven or eight, and that one was a, that was about a hundred G or more. It was it was a massive accident. Um, yeah, so obviously they add, they do they have to add that safety factor on. Yeah. But equally, when you look at some of some of those impact G, even though it's only a, like a split second that they're under that level, hmm. it's still actually fairly reasonable. Yeah, I mean it's all like, because, like you were saying. It's all it's always because all these G forces and all the uh, advances around the crash helmet and the hands device and stuff is all brought in because of the impact on the brain. In a crash, and that's that's what we're yeah. trying to protect. Um, we sort of have, we have deformable structures in crash helmets now. We have the padding to resorb energy. We have the hands device to stop movement uh, or at least slow it down. Um, it's this is all brought in to try and protect the brain. Which, if kids are listening, that's that's why you need to wear your your head restraints. Yeah, um, but equally, that's also why you don't drop them. Yes, you see, so many kids get out of the car. And then just throw the helmet in the seat. Don't do that. They're so precious, mm. and it, and you'll damage it. And this is what sort of what we tell, like obviously we the, the general customers, not necessarily the kids that do the racing, in their own parts. But when kids come down, um, in our carts at work, and they think it's hilarious and they can headbutt each other and it doesn't hurt. That's just damaging the crash helmets. Yeah. And then if you need it. It's not going to do its job properly, and no. we have to throw it away. You you take it off and drop it. We have to throw that helmet away because hmm. we can't use it again because it's had an impact. Yeah. Um, and it, although it would probably do the job, we don't yeah. want to risk that. Exactly. It's, it's a it's a risk and reward sort of thing. So it's yeah, it's simple. But go back to the uh, 2019 one. So 
we saw, we saw it was it bell who did that um yeah bell have unveiled theirs which is kind of the the new regulation so you can imagine what the others are going to look like but equally some of the drivers now for oh, some of the f1 drivers are starting to um, unveil their new helmet designs and obviously it's becoming more evident you've seen the the ri now um verstappen unveiled his a couple of days ago yep. um and that was uh, what's much the same it's a narrower iPort, um and obviously they all have the hands posts on the back of the helmets the regulation they have to have the hands device so you have to have someone to attach it um and also the var i think um let me i forgot i've borrowed this from autosport the the standards the new this is the fia rules yeah. the standard impact um of the helmet um should let's see helmet impact at 9.5 meters per second you don't know what that is in church of england but check. <laughs> on peak deceleration on driver's edge shall not exceed 275 g okay. so essentially the the interior of the helmet the padding and everything yep. will be will have a bit of give so if the impact is for example 300 g the helmet will take some of the strain and reduce that on the driver's head and neck yeah. um, to try and well, if you think about um, I think what someone said to me what essentially what a concussion is is a bruising on the brain yeah so that's if you have that shunt is the brain hitting the front of the inside head. of the skull yeah um, so you want to try and stop that so you want to try and slow the head down did essentially you say, did you say nine meters per second 9.5. 9.5 is, according to Google, it's broken. Oh, no. Right, uh, 20 miles an hour, just over 20 miles an hour. Okay. So that's, realistically, that is, um, yeah, that's just the, that's the speed that they test the shunt at. But that's, yeah. I think, something directly hitting the helmet. Mm -hmm. So... That's but yeah. there's also uh, the visor test they test the visor now visor penetration test they essentially fire an air rifle at it with 1.2 gram pellet mm -hmm. um and they fire it directly at the visor and is not allowed to penetrate yeah. it has to bounce off which well, makes sense it absolutely makes sense it's also um as we said it's just an evolution and a, a sort of result of all these things we've mentioned already, the all the all the advances that have happened through uh, through the uh, through the years. Um, oh, here's a good one: flammability. Oh yes, I saw that gone. The flammability, the helmet. It, when they test it, they expose it to flames at 790 degrees Celsius, which is very hot. Very hot, uh, and then it must self-extinguish once the flame is gone. Hmm. So it can't keep like the the foam on the inside can't burn essentially. So the driver can be on fire as soon as he's put out. He should be able to take his helmet off and be fine. Yeah, which is very, very, which is obviously preferable, I think. Ideally, <laughs> yeah. Um, but not otherwise, the the helmet itself. I mean, it, look, it looks good. Full stop in the carbon fiber. But then again, anything looks good in carbon fiber. Just ask Hans. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I think some some people might moan about the oh the restricted eye um vision through this the slit that's rubbish because you see some of the helmets from the 80s and before then when they had all the different sized um 
sort of eye eyelets, whether they were very very thin or two separate ones, like the Andretti goggles. That's all. That's. I was going to say, yeah, the, yeah, uh, two separate ones. Yeah, was a thing for a while, which seems silly now, but yeah. But the fact is, I, I think it'll make absolutely no difference. They've obviously going to have, going to have tested the vision. They're going to have tested, um, you know, the effectiveness versus the old design and the cost cost reward. Um, yeah. Well, realistically, the reason they've they've made these visors smaller is to make the Xylon strip redundant. Yeah. So we won't see drivers this year with a Xylon strip. We might not even see drivers with a visor sticker because the they're that much narrower. You see, I read the Xylon strip has just been integrated behind uh, to the top section of the the helmet. It's just now sort of. It's, it's just, yeah, essentially, it's just fully the, the actual eye port is smaller, yeah. so there's less chance. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's... Was there anything else that was particularly interesting about this helmet, apart from the fact it's just mainly just the result of many, many years of evolution of safety? I think it's was... just kind of, yeah. It's, well, obviously, the, the, modern, the modern Formula One helmet has got so much more in it than just a visor yes, and a hand device. It's the, the radio... A lot of the, I think, uh, they've got some kind of sort of biometrics kind of thing where yeah, they're that, measuring that yeah. um, heart rate and all of that sort of stuff. Not only just for the teams, but for the FIA as well to yeah. check that the drivers are fine if they have a crash. Yep. Um, they've, they're thinking um, more in, in sort of future-proofing now, yeah, definitely. which is better. Rather than reacting, we're preempting, which I think is the right way to do it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um as you were just saying though, the, the helmet has got a lot more stuff to do these days than it did back in the fifties the and sixties. Um as you just mentioned, it's got the, the radio, it's also got the drinks feeder, um yep. the connection to the hands device we've already mentioned. Um the oh one thing interesting with on the visor it's got the it's got multiple area ways of uh of demisting, which is often a common problem in go karting you you see with uh, drivers with their the white vision in front of them. <laughs> yeah, can't um, see a thing. Yeah, uh, got. I remember there's. It's called double glazing, but it's not. It's essentially just lamination of the um, of the visor strip, which stops the um, which stops the the misting up occurring. Um, there's also uh, portholes and air vents you see on helmets. Um, I'm pretty certain I saw once that there was that some visors are sort of electrically heated, in some in some regards. Uh, yeah, I think. Um certain series they have it i don't think that's necessarily for open yeah it's not it's not it's not um, common practice but i know it's the technology does exist Um, oh yeah yeah the same way that in f1 they have the the visor strip um no what they call the tear-offs yeah um which of course helps you with your vision and as you said the vents and holes which can help with aero and also help with your cooling and also help with your um ventilation to stop demisting it's 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 a very very intricate part of the the system is the crash helmet, and it's uh... yeah. Actually, if you look at um, a lot of things, um, like if you I know if uh, racing in very very hot climates in GT cars and in like sort of closed cockpit cars, mm-hmm. a lot of the cars have got air, uh, the helmets have got air conditioning. Oh really? And you plug it in. You get in the car and you plug your helmet into the car. That's quite clever, actually. And keeps your head cool. Yeah. Um, I know that they use it quite a lot in rallying. Um, in some of the hotter climates. And you see them in NASCAR, they do it as well, where they'll get out of the car and there's like a little hose attached to the top of the helmet. Yeah. That They plug that in and that's their cold air. Oh, yeah, I've seen that. That's, that's, that. And, and it looks cooler, I think. It, well, it's a bit different. I'm not <laughs> sure. I'm not sure, but 
but you know that's that's a personal preference. Um, yeah. But I suppose a, a last point. So talk, talking about the differentiative helmets, uh, let's just talk about the the private helmets you can buy because of course you've bought a a new helmet recently, Sam, for your yeah. Very recently, just bought a new um, Coden twenty fourteen. Um, I went for the carbon fiber because it looks quite cool, yep. as much as anything. Um, did a lot of research of what I wanted. I, I initially was quite against carbon fiber helmets in karting because um, a fiberglass has a little bit of flex and a little bit of give to it, mm-hmm. um, whereas we tend to think of carbon fiber as very very stiff and then shattering. Yeah, which is not what you want from a crash helmet. You want it to be able to deform yeah. if you ever need, if you ever have a, a crash where you need it. Um, but uh, a lot of research and, and things later, I came to the conclusion that actually, realistically, if you're buying a decent brand and it's a karting helmet, then it will have that f- deformation. Yeah, it's pretty so, good. Yeah. Um, like you, could, you can go onto Amazon and you can buy a helmet for £30. Pounds. Mm-hmm. You really trust that? Yeah. Like some of the you like you look at these helmets and they are be terrible. But like, I wouldn't want I wouldn't want to wear that. Yeah. Um, it is very much a case of you spend how much you think, but realistically, the more you spend, the better the product is going to yeah, be. Yeah, I think we. I can't remember if we said this at the beginning of the podcast or just before, but um, essentially, the last message for this for anyone listening: children in karting. Um, or race drivers who are just doing it generally, even people on motorbikes, very much. I'm sure you've been told this before, but you pay for what you get. You 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 invest in your set, the helmet. You're investing in your, in your own life essentially. Um, yeah. And it's you know it's sure. I mean you 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 shouldn't blow the butt the bank on it, but just buy the best you can afford. The same that you buy the the newest cars these days for safety. It's exactly the same principle with crash. Absolutely, it's, it's you. You buy the best you can get because it's, it's it could save your life essentially. Yeah, and um, I personally, I would never buy a second-hand helmet. No, for the same reason as we discussed earlier. You don't know what's ha- what is it's had happened to it. Yeah, you'd like to think if someone's selling it that it is good and usable, but you never know. Yeah. Um, and but equally, if it looks fine, it isn't necessarily no. If you drop it, you have to be so, so careful. You have to look on the inside as well as on the outside. If you scratch it, it might just be the paint. You might be lucky, but you've got to be so careful. Yeah. And helmets go out of date as well. Um, I know that for motorbikes, it's two years, technically. Then you have to get a new helmet. Um, I think for karting, it's the regulations are every few years so every four years or five years i think yeah um and a lot of sort of independent series like our ikr series at work for example or rhpk as long as the helmet's in good enough condition even if it is technically out of date we'll allow that but we'll check it sort of thing um, yeah, there's, there's but a lot of MSA series has to be in date yeah we so don't use it as with all multiple series there's always um you have the rules for the class, you know. You can't completely blow the budgets, but equally, you've got to keep safety as an option. So it's it's very important yeah. in in any regard. But um, yeah, I mean, obviously, the F1 drivers they change their helmets every few races. Sometimes, if you're not, uh, if you, yeah, they have five or six helmets yeah, at each race. It's just Sebastian Vettel you did anyway. But um, but uh, otherwise, no. It's you. Yeah, just just remember, anyone, just buy the best you can get, and 
keep look after it don't be an idiot don't do headbutting <laughs> <It's, laughs> yeah. uh, but no otherwise that's i think that's more or less it actually the that's 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 crash helmets that's the that's it yeah that's yeah it's head safety use your head think safe yeah exactly you use go. your head <laughs> but knowledge don't, don't lose it yeah <laughs> don't lose your head that's the uh the strap line of this podcast yeah um but yeah that's it otherwise um anything else you want to add sam no it's about it really cool um I think we'll, we'll possibly do... My my helmet's going to be going away to get painted. Um, so I think we'll probably do a a uh, reveal when that comes back. Yeah. Um, it could be a little while, but because um, I want to get the design perfect but before yeah, just... we do any paint. But yeah. I'm giving it to the guy next week. Yeah, so stay, um, stay posted to Stable Automotive and Sam Green Race Engineering for that one. Yeah, basically, uh... yeah. <laughs> But um, no, otherwise, that's it from uh, us. Uh, so um, thank you for listening. And uh, thank to Sam, obviously, for doing his show. He was proactive this time. You actually asked me if you want to do it. I was, I was very happy. <laughs> um, but no, otherwise, thank you much for listening. And um, we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening. Cheers, Sam. Thank you. Bye-bye. And, uh, we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.